Hi. I'm letting the scalp hang out tonight. <laughs> a little clammy. Let me dab uh -oh. myself. Okay, there you go. You know, it's like the I don't I don't mind being bald, but like the one thing I try to avoid, especially when I'm wearing a hat, is glare. Mm. Sometimes because that skin will glare some motherfucker. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get pictures of yourself, and it'll be like I'm really shiny <laughs> in that picture. But you know, I could powder is, you before you record. I should I should utilize more feminine techniques in preventing. Hey, it's not feminine techniques. It's not. Not necessarily. People have worn makeup on film the entire time there's been film. You know, I shouldn't genderize. You're right. I shouldn't gender. If Harry it's just powder. If Harry Styles has taught me that I should not be genderizing these things. Harry Styles is doing what Harry Styles wants to do, but Harry Styles is not groundbreaking. That's a preview. It's a preview. Also, I want to say a couple of things. Okay. Okay. Um. This is a very special episode for multiple reasons. Yeah. But I have changed the tier ranking system. Oh, yes. Uh, the I think the F tier was 0 to 2.5 mm -hmm. or 2.25 or something. I have upped it to 2.75. So Johnny Mnemonic, which is a 3, is still a 3. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's still a D. Uh, but 0 to 2.75 is now F tier. I like that. So I like that. That's the broadest range. Yeah. And I, uh, you know, we mentioned that we can change the ratings. Yes. At any time we want, because it's just made up. We can make it more up later. Yeah. I think Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three benefited from a lot of badass movies coming out of the time. It got swept up in the good hype. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still think it's actually a pretty good movie, and probably maybe one of my favorite in that trilogy. Yeah. But, uh, but. Our old friend Drew in that trilogy, the one we just watched, is the best one. Yeah, yeah. But our old friend, our old friend Drew, ah, uh, Drew, documenteers old heads might remember. He said to me, and I can't get it out of my fucking head. He says, and I can't believe I didn't see it because I'm always quick to complain about this. What he said? He said that the the Guardians trilogy is Star Wars. Movie one, they come together. There's a there's a big menace. Uh, they come together. Movie two, that's my dad and my sister. I didn't know about. Movie three, they do literally fall into a pit of giant monsters. I couldn't and get it out of my head. Talk to animals. Is it the force? This fucking that sucks. <laughs> that fucking sucks. So there you go. I already changed it. You can see here, Guardians of the Galaxy. Went down to 6.75. I dropped it by a half a point. That's still a good movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But it is now... Be it's better than Scream 6, but not as good as The Naked Gun. And that makes a lot of sense to me. I agree with that. That makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I still don't me. like The Naked Gun. But I'd watch Guardians again before I'd watch problem? The Naked Gun again. What is your problem? You don't like it's, the, it's the, like, fart and piss humor. <laughs> Well, to each their own. <laughs> You're not complaining about it when I'm doing it. She is, actually. <laughs> yeah, I hate it when you piss. If I if she walks into the bedroom and I'm using the bathroom, she's like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. I can't hold it. I can only hold it for so long. Dude, <laughs> you say that we have a bathroom in our bedroom this or else it sounds like you're just pissing on the bed. <laughs> I think people can figure it out. 
Most master bedrooms have a bathroom. You know, that's, uh, people don't say that word anymore. What? Because the reason a master bedroom is a master bedroom is from, like, slave shit. Oh. The master of the house has the biggest bedroom. Is that really where it comes yeah. from? Okay. Or the master of the estate. I mean, it's about the boss. But master Bruce has Springsteen? those also connotations. Keep talking. I'm just correcting some things for later. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, Bruce Springsteen's cool. Has that song about walking in Memphis. That's not Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> no? I can't, I can't remember who that who was. Sings walking in Memphis? I can't. Walking in Memphis. You know, people who only listen to the podcast, like, when you hear me say something wrong, mm-hmm. what you don't see, like, if you watch the YouTube version and and we say something wrong, I often will show a visual correction while we're saying the wrong thing. I love that. So, Mark Cohn. Mark Cohn. I was walking in Memphis. Walking in Memphis. So, folks, this is a very special episode other than the changes we just made. Um, Because now the F tier has a longer, larger window than all the other tiers. Yeah. Will we get an F tier today? Maybe. Because when we first had the concept to do movie humpers, it was like late last year. Yes. And we watched a lot of movies, and we discussed them, and I did, like, write-ups on them with the idea that these would be on the show. And then we, when we finally were at a place where we could do the show, we kind of just moved on from it. Yeah, them. we just started fresh. But there were six movies that we watched last year with the idea that they would be our earlier reviews. And I thought, why not go ahead and forgive us if we don't remember all the details of character names or plot points. I think we're going to do pretty good. Sure. But but cut us some slack if we get a few things wrong here, okay? Because it's been about six months for a yeah. couple of these. Yeah, yeah. But I do feel strongly that I still remember most of them. So, but we're going to talk about six movies. Six movies. And, I, and we're going to, with limited time, we're going to do like a five-minute timer. So we're not going to linger. Yeah. This, this ain't going to be a four-hour-long episode. It probably will go over an hour, but. But it's got the most in it. So we'll we'll give ourselves we'll start out at about five minutes. Some later discussions will probably call for longer times. But so we're gonna go down the line of some movies. And I think we're gonna hit just about every tier. Yeah, right? that's well, you. We switched up Guardians of the Galaxy, that's a B tier. Yeah. Right? Can yeah. we hit every other tier on this list? With this list, I think we can. Are we going to get our first F tier movie? I think we might. <laughs> I think we will. So now, if you're watching the YouTube version, you already know what our first one's going to be. That's right. Yeah. Maybe you've heard of it. Uh, first movie, Citizen Kane by Orson Welles. <laughs> you do ladies and gentlemen this is orson wells i'm speaking for the mercury theater and what follows is supposed to advertise our first motion picture citizen kane is the title and we hope it can correctly be called a coming attraction it's certainly coming coming to this theater and i think our mercury actors make it an attraction i'd like you to meet them speaking of attractions 
Well, the chorus girls are certainly an attraction. But frankly, ladies and gentlemen, we're just showing you the chorus girls for purposes of ballyhoo. It's a pretty nice ballyhoo. But here's some of our real Mercury people. This is the first time you've seen most of them on the screen. Hey, uh, give Joe a little light. Thanks. Now smile for the folks, Joe. Smile. Joseph Cotton, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. Joseph Cotton. I think you're going to see a lot of him. Here's Ruth Warwick, whom I know you love. Ruth. Look at the camera, Ruth. <laughs> we caught Ruth with her hair up. And here's somebody you've all heard on the radio, so I don't have to tell you he's wonderful. Ray Collins. Dorothy Comingore is a name I'm going to repeat. Dorothy Comingore. I won't have to repeat it much longer. You'll be repeating it. And here's George Kouluris, who's a grand actor. I'll say that name again. George Kouluris. Watch it. Here comes Everett Sloan. Look out, Everett. Oops. Everett Sloan, ladies and gentlemen. He isn't necessarily a comedian. And here's one of the best in the world. Agnes Moorhead. I've said a lot of nice things, but Erskine Sanford deserves some more. Erskine. Erskine Sanford. So does Paul. Paul. Paul Stewart, everybody. Citizen Kane is a modern American story about a man called Kane. Charles Foster Kane. I don't know how to tell you about him. There's so many things to say. I'll turn you over instead to the characters in the picture. As you'll see, they feel very strongly on the subject. Charles Foster Kane is... Sure, he started the war. But do you think if it hadn't been for Mr. Kane, the United States would have the Panama Canal? Charles Foster Kane is nothing more or less than a communist. Kane, governor. Listen, when the voters of this state and Mrs. Kane learn what I found out about Mr. Kane and a certain little blondie named Susan Alexander, he couldn't be elected dog catcher. I'm going to skin Mr. Charles Foster Kane alive. I'm going to marry him next week at the White House. Emily, I hear you've been stepping out with Charlie Kane. I... Of course I love him. I gave him $60 million. Well, of course I love him. He's the richest man in America. But all the girls say about him at first. But you know, I can't help but admire him. He's crazy. He's wonderful. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I don't know what you'll think about Mr. Kane. I can't imagine. You see, I play the part myself. Well, Kane is a hero. And a scoundrel, a no-account, and a swell guy, a great lover, a great American citizen, and a dirty dog. It depends on who's talking about him. What's the real truth about Charles Foster Kane? I wish you'd come to this theater when Citizen Kane plays here and decide for yourself. Citizen Kane, directed by Orson Welles, written by Herman Mankiewicz and Orson Welles, starring Orson Welles, Joseph Cotton, Dorothy Cummingore, Everett Sloan, etc. Mm -hmm. Produced by Orson Welles, cinematography by Greg Toland from RKO Radio Pictures and Mercury Productions. Yeah. What can be said about Citizen Kane that we don't already know? This used to be the movie that people would bring up. I feel like they talked about this movie a lot when we were kids. This is like the stereotypical greatest movie, right? It would be on Saturday Night Live. It would be on... It was on cartoons. You knew the plot reveal before you ever saw it because there was something like people would bring this up like, oh, the greatest movie ever made, <laughs> Rosebud's The Sled. There was almost like a like a dismissiveness, like it was brought up by film buffs, but also kind of dis presented very dismissively by a lot of people who, during an, our younger eras when, like... 
yeah shit like blood sport and like steven seagal movies were maybe more of a thing right? yeah well we watched all of those at my house yeah we watched um, all that shit i yeah i and and it really did a disservice because i had never seen this movie and i always kind of figured i would at some point but because i had heard that and it like you said it hadn't necessarily been always in the best light even though people would in the same breath make fun of it and say it's overdone and say it's the best movie ever made right like in the same breath it felt like I just never got around to it. This movie? It's great. It's brilliant. And we watched the movie Mank, which is about kind of David Fincher's making of this movie. Yeah. And David Fincher's made some great movies, but we thought uh, Mank was pretty middling. Well, Mank also suffered from the fact that we had recently watched Citizen Kane, and Citizen Kane is beautiful and thoughtful, and every scene is, like, very specific and meaningful. And then Mank tried to, like, parrot that in a way that just fell fucking flat. Citizen Kane feels fresher than Mank did. Yes. And Mank is literally, like, a a movie that came out three years ago. Yeah. So, but Citizen Kane <laughs> does feel fresh with like great shots, yeah. shots of the reporters in black and white, great overhead shots covering like mm. scenes of like junk in a floor, overhead shots looking down on Orson Welles. Of course, we're, Orson Welles plays Charles Foster Kane, who is supposed to be a stand in for William Randolph Hearst, mm-hmm. a classic newspaper tycoon, rich man stuff. Uh, he, we see him as a little boy sledding around his Colorado home and, uh, we meet his mother who's fucking great. And the father has no control. He's like, I don't like this. And she's like, yeah. we're going to send him off to be rich and famous or whatever. Right. Yeah. And he goes off and he ends up running a newspaper. He has a failed bid as a politician because they find out he's sleeping with a starlet who he later marries and builds a whole mansion kingdom empire just for her yeah and down like, in florida she wants to be an actress so he like puts her in all these like operas and so... concerts and shit and basically like people go but it's more to like look at her than to like yeah, care about what spec- she's doing the spectacle of what's happening yeah it's like i'm going to see his lady tonight <laughs> probably don't even know her name and of course like she doesn't really want to do it but he's just making her do it i think she did until she realized what the fuck was going yeah on. she's like oh yeah like like when you think you want to do something but then you realize like oh i don't really have i'm not really that i'm just pipe dreaming but you got someone who's just making you do it over and over and over again mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. obviously that relationship falls apart and and uh there's a great scene where charles foster kane just goes like a toddler in a tantrum in that room just wrecking all that shit i love that scene so much and of course it's all framed around reporters because he has died at the beginning of the movie and that was another thing that you see a lot more now that wasn't as common then was this idea of like the ending and then framing it all around Mm -hmm. flashbacks seeing the end before the beginning Mm -hmm. and um and the reporters are trying to figure out who Rosebud is, who is Rosebud. We all know who Rosebud is. Even if you've never seen this movie, you might know who Rosebud is. Totally, and we I did. see after Charles Foster Kane is gone, the reporters have given up, and you see a camera zooming in a room. All the things that were common later in filmmaking were unique uh, back then. Mm-hmm. We've got 30 seconds. Yep. It zooms in. 30 seconds to talk about this movie. It zooms in on a guy holding a sled. It's got the label rosebud on it and they're like yeah throw it in the furnace so the thing that charles foster kane loved the most is fucking sled thrown in Mm -hmm. the furnace Mm -hmm. 
Tragic. I just I just want to hear the alarm sound. How early well, am well, I? Well, I haven't said much, so I can also add. No, I didn't. Well, you kidding. have seconds. I'm just kidding. Um, I this movie was. That's what? it. <laughs> You know what that sound means, folks. We're out of time. <laughs> okay, so ratings. Rating. Watching it, it was like truly like light bulbs flashing all around in my brain, being like, oh, that's where that comes from. That's why that looks like that. That's what this is. You know, like it was just so good. And I don't know if I've ever seen an Orson Welles movie before. So there was also that like idea of him being so bigger than life that in my mind it was maybe going to be like overacted or something mm. but it was so good like he's so good and so i'm gonna say for the influence for the cinematography all of it i'm giving it a five yeah i hear you and people might be like oh this movie's over this movie's overrated it's overhyped it's overbaked no it's not like mm -hmm. if you if you're interested in the context of movie history and what what led to everything we have now citizen kane is a must in terms of understanding that movie it's not overhyped it really is like a great film and it was underappreciated when it was first released and then and there and it had that it was kind of more of a sleeper hit when it came to appreciation like yeah. uh it, it was a few years it had to be re-released after a lot of european critics were like holy shit this is this movie's the bomb that's the words that they said back in the 40s the bomb and, it was the bee's knees. And then it caused everyone to kind of go back and revisit it. And it yeah. became the iconic movie that we know today. Yeah. And, of course, Orson Welles brought in all of his Mercury Theater and RKO buddies to come in and help yeah. make this movie. These are theater nerds, stage actors that went straight from there to there. And yeah. Orson Welles was so prolific that they just were like, hey, RKO was like, hey, let's make us a moving picture. I mean, there, there's something very unique, especially older films earlier films where the person has come from the stage to film we saw this with night of the hunter charles lofton yeah We're, we saw that with citizen kane there is this there's just something that seems like more more care is taken with the details yeah what do you give it i give it a 4.75 because he looked funny in the uh, uh, old man makeup i did not notice that oh hey by the way yeah. i'm angela oh i'm <laughs> I'm Bobby. I'm Bobby. This is, uh, or Bob Sham. Uh, this is Movie Humpers. The sounds you hear are probably dogs. You probably heard it a minute ago, which is what reminded me that you had not said that yet. <laughs> so 9.75. Is this above or below Sunset Boulevard? Below. Below it. Because Sunset Boulevard is a perfect movie, though you did not give it a five. Anything in 9.5, between a 9.5 and a 10 is pretty much just a per fine perfect and yet still a ranking within that time well so just, i can still be bitter about it to, my new favorite movie you know it doesn't mean much your favorite movie it doesn't have to be my favorite movie it doesn't mean much like you kind of hate on you hate on I naked gun it. if it was up to me naked gun would be on this s tier list you have got to be kidding me i'm not Orson. you know that that is not an s tier movie <laughs> i didn't rate it high enough to be s tier either <laughs> 1941 is a 9.75. Excuse me. So sorry. Ooh. So sorry, Angela. It's a 9.75. I'm okay with that.
You put it below Sunset Boulevard? I did. Okay. Sunset Boulevard is one ticket up. That's what matters. I mean, both very historical movies, but uh, we're going to move on. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh, the next movie we're going to discuss is Speak No Evil Ooh. by Christian Taftrip. I want to toast to Italy, of course, to the food, of course, and to love. To love. Dear Louise, Björn, and Agnes, how are you? We were just talking the other day how nice it was spending time with you this summer. We would love to invite you to come to visit us. Yeah, you made it! (laughs) Sorry for the mess. It's gonna get much worse. Come on! He's been cooking all day. He's making wild boar. This is for you. I'm a vegetarian. I insist. <laughs> I insist. I'll tell you. Let's go. Hi, Abel. Abel has some difficulty speaking. He has what you call congenital aglossia, meaning basically he's born without a tongue. He's only a child, for Christ's sake. You can't talk to him that way. What is wrong with you? We have a situation here. Someone left without saying goodbye. So many things have felt so wrong. Because we do things differently. No one's forcing you to stay, but I really hope you do, because today is going to be a great day. Speak No Evil by Christian Taftrip 2022, written by Christian and Mods Taftrip, starring Morton Burian, Sid Solcium Coke, Fedja Van Hewitt, Karina Smulders, etc., etc., produced by Jacob Jarrett, cinematography by Eric Malberg Hansen. Whoa. Whoa. From Profile Pictures, Oak Motion, and Nordisk Film. This one is not a Michael Hen- a Mike uh, a Mike Hennigy, Hennigy movie because it's so fucking dark. I thought that, but no, it's a Same. Christian Taftrip movie. Let's get into this movie. A couple I can't remember their names. Doesn't matter. One is Dutch. One's from Doesn't one's matter. from Denmark. The other's from Netherlands. Yes, they meet in Italy on vacation. It's a uh, uh, our protagonists have a daughter and the other couple have a little boy who is born without a tongue Mm -hmm. and they meet and have a great time on vacation cut to some time later and the the protagonist couple get a uh an invitation to come to that couple's house spend the weekend and they take him up the wife is like a little like oh i don't know but the husband he's he's you know you're um stuck in his rut he wants to feel alive he wants to come out of his shell yeah and he his has, wife's a little stuffy yeah and he has this sort of like friend crush on the husband in this other relationship like that the man is very charismatic 
and he's drawn to him and there's almost even like this undercurrent of like maybe not sexual tension but i did wonder if this was going to go a swinging direction i oh, was yeah, not yeah. sure because that... i feel like if that guy had tried to kiss the other guy he would have done it. i mean when the dutch are making a movie you gotta keep be prepared for that but... i don't know but i was prepared <laughs> for it and so but yeah he kind of has this like crush on him because he's so charismatic but you find out that that's because he's a con man yeah so they go and they spend time with this couple, but things get weirdly worse. The guy ex- tells them on vacation that he's a doctor, so mm-hmm. remember that. So uh, there's all kinds of weird things that happen, and like the wife is like, the, the it's interesting. The wife is an annoying helicopter parent, so you're annoyed by her <clears throat> being uptight, but also understand why she feels so strange about this couple yes it's an odd situation they're doing things like there's one night they they go out for drinks and this like man that the woman has never met comes over to babysit the children and she didn't know the children weren't coming to dinner so it's like there's like not a communication and not that it's like not okay because the kid seems to be comfortable with this dude but it's awkward like there's just they don't tell them what's happening before they happen then the people got really drunk and the man drives them home super drunk swerving all over the road yeah then the next thing, so then the couple's fucking. Yeah, and the guy's staring at them through the through the window, and the husband sees it but doesn't say anything. And then that guy goes. And then, but their daughter was knocking while they were fucking, and they probably don't have sex a lot. Oh and, yeah, yeah, I don't think. And they so do. when they're done, and they went to, and he went to go see the daughter. The daughter was asleep, and and the dude was in the room, and he was bare ass naked. So yeah, that was she's like, like a in his bed. And he's naked. And there's points where they're trying to leave. The daughter forgot her doll at some point. This doll's a thing where, um, you know, the like she loses it on the vacation. And her dad finds it wherever it is. And he's a hero. The guy calls him a hero. Just another manipulation tactic. Here's my thing. If people are doing fucked up shit and you lost your doll, I'm sorry. You're going to cry for the three hours home and I'm going to get you a new doll tomorrow. Yeah. But they get convinced to stick around and they stay and they stay. And then there's this moment where the kids are playing around doing a performance. Yeah. The, the, they made they made up a dance. Lots of kids do this shit. And then they perform it for their folks. And the girl is like very confident and doing her dance. The little boy is very shy. And so he's kind of messing up a little bit. He gets nervous. And then the dad gets like super fucking critical. And he's like, you're fucking it up. You're embarrassing yeah, me. Just Why are you doing going that? Going way hard on some goofy kid shit. And the mom is like trying to like say, oh, no, it's okay. Like the daughter's mother is trying to be like, oh, no, don't you think you're being hard on him? And he's like, don't tell me how to raise my kid. Like there's like a lot of yelling happening. So they decide that they're going to leave the next day. They find out he's not a doctor. The, yeah, right. She cuts herself and he asks him to look at it. And he's like, I'm not a doctor. There's also some weird shit about her being a vegan and him trying to feed her meat the whole yeah, time. Yeah, right. The dad, while they're going to leave the next day, the dad walks around the house, goes into, finds a dark room and sees pictures mm. of that couple with other kids and with other couples and then pictures of them with the couple's kid without the other couple. Like apparently they've been abducting the children and what you think is like killing the parents and taking their kids and cutting out their tongue and they try to escape. And there's very intense scene that we won't go bit by bit into, but this couple ends up with the help of a friend taking their little daughter and cutting her tongue out right in front of them and they don't really do anything. The guy, they don't have a gun. I don't even think they have a knife. The the father, the bad guy just punches the dad in the head. And he and, stops trying. And they t- drag this daughter off. And so she's gone. And the mom just cries. And here's my thing. If this was happening to me in front of me, I don't care if it was my kid. I'm going to fight that. That bitch is going to have to kill me too. So they take this couple 
off to a rock quarry I where, hated them. where they went before to scream and the two men bond and scream no one so we know you. no one can hear them and they make them strip naked and the guy's like why are you doing this and the, and the dude says because you let me and they don't run away or nothing they again there's there. no gun they're like on the top of a quarry they're at the bottom and this couple literally stands there and lets them st- lets the this sadistic couple stone them to death stone them you feel so bad like you hate the people doing the crime but for different reasons you also are just extremely mad at the couple who are getting stoned to death yeah and i've oh my god (laughs) okay okay it's the best sound to hear after describing (laughs) oh my god i read online that someone who's from that part of the world explained that like these are very like safe countries like the there's not a lot of crime recidivism and that like it's kind of a thing where with the with the dutch that you kind of have to things have to be particularly fucked up to get them to react like something's really bad is going to happen so that's kind of something but it's also kind of representative of just kind of like like a your basic European white privileged people who are well to do annoying but politeness, so, but somehow unsatisfied with their life. And they got to like, there is kind of like a weird naivete to them at the same time, mm-hmm. despite all their means and their mm-hmm. successes. Like it's a dad, like he's just not satisfied with, with his lot in his life. And so he wants to break out of his shell. Of course, the shell gets broken by stones as you get stoned to death at the end of the movie. Yeah, the the mom in particular made me crazy because she was like a helicopter mom, as you mentioned, but she was also not a good mom. Because, the, and I think that happens a lot, but it was just very obvious as part of the undercurrent is that this, like, bad woman... I'm quoting, whatever, she stoned the other woman. Like, this bad couple, like, they're more fun. The kid actually is having more fun with this other woman, and they're kind of like playing games, and the mom's getting mad. At the climax of the movie, we see a boy float. That boy, they killed their own quote unquote kid, and he's floating face down. It's a very stark moment, but very, very sad. But let's review this movie. How much do you give uh, Speak No Evil by Christian Taftrup? I think I'm going to give it a four. It was very difficult to watch. It was fear. You know what? I'm going to give it a 4.25 because not a lot of movies make me have like a visceral reaction. And I truly felt so angry and upset and sad at different moments of this movie. Like when this movie was over, it's the kind of movie you just like sit Mm. and like don't talk for a minute. Like heavy. I give it a solid four. I think this is the epitome of a solid four hump movie. Totally. I actually kind of like these kind of movies. These like deranged, like what the fuck kind of movies. We do sort of seek these out. We kind of like we kind of like this kind of shit, and I think this is like the epitome of uh, you take your four point two five combined with my four and eight point. I think this is absolutely an eight point two five movie. Yeah. So. That would make it, uh, let's see here. That's an A. A. Uh, I'm going to put it, so other our other 8.25s are Bo is Afraid mm. and Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I don't think it's quite as good as Bo is Afraid. Nope. And I think Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs has more of a historical 
crafted edge to it to be quite honest fair so forgot the name up for a second speak <laughs> speak no, no evil. evil oh speaking of that there is also a particularly disturbing moment when the boy finds the man outside and opens his mouth and shows him that his tongue indeed has not never been there but is cut off yeah, well, the boing-boing happened, and we went a little over. Sorry. But we got to move on to our next one, and it's a documentary, a throwback to our first podcast. Oh, right. We're going to be discussing Robert Greene's Kate Plays Christine. In Sarasota, Florida today, a 29-year-old talk show hostess shot herself in the head live on television. The woman, Christine Chubbuck, said, In keeping with Channel 40's policy of bringing you the latest in blood and guts, you're going to see another first, an attempted suicide. The word spread, like, through the grapevine. I mean, it wasn't tweeted or emailed, you know, it was, Hey, did you see what happened on Channel 40 and the old-fashioned way, you know, person to person. If you're going to play this role, you need to have like a simmering undercurrent of some kind of resentment or personal turmoil. The fact that she asked for her show to be videotaped that day indicates to me premeditation. She's plotting something. All right, go for it, Kate. Did I say my name again? Sure. My name's Kate. Acting became this outlet for me to be seen. I do worry the impulse is perhaps an unhealthy one. She had a tan. Her waist-length black hair was clean and shiny, and her black and white print dress complemented her long, slim figure. I have a lot of friends down in Sarasota. I asked them all about it. They had never heard of her. Just by people moving in, moving out, People are going to forget that type of thing. I'm hoping to find tape of Christine Chubbuck, not the tape of her suicide, but anything at all. This is what's haunted me for 41 years now, and this didn't come out in any of the other stories that I know of. Until I make all of this feel as natural as possible, I just feel like I'm playing dress up. I don't know. I don't know what to do, Robert. I don't know what to do. I don't know what this scene is. I don't know. Here, let's go again. Just go again. How do you think that went? Very badly, because I'm not prepared. I'm trying to get as close to it as I can. It seems to be somewhat compulsive. People still talk about Christine Chubbin? Not at all. No. No. You die two times. You die when you pass away, and then you die the last time somebody mentioned your name. Kate Plays Christine by Robert Green from 2016, written by Robert Green, starring Caitlin Schill, produced by Susan Bedusa, cinematography by Sean Price Williams from Faliro House, Fourth Row, Pre-War Cinema, and Grasshopper Film. Four minutes? Four minutes. Go. Robert Green, uh, a documentarian who, having people replay real events whether it be bisbee 17 of people reenacting a town forcing a union out of an arizona mining town mm -hmm. or he's got a movie about people uh dealing with their uh sexual abuse from the catholic church that's that's tough and robert green uh hits this one in which he gets uh the actress caitlin shill to play someone named christine chubbick who i believe was in the late 70s uh, I think it was in Sarasota, Christine Chubbuck, um, 
shot herself on live TV. She was a news anchor and just shot herself. Apparently she was the first person to have done that. Yes. It has happened since, but she was the first person. There was a, a, the town we used to live in Clarksville had somebody shoot themselves at a mm-hmm. city council meeting and they, it was on tape, but apparently they destroyed it. So. Sure. I mean, understandable. You know, this was hard for me because it is a documentary, but it was almost, it almost felt like a doc, it was, it was a documentary about this woman trying to play the role of this woman who mm. um, was a victim of suicide on television. Uh, and honestly, it just didn't feel like there was enough there to bite into. And I get that, that that was part of the narrative was that we don't know a lot about Christine and why she did what she did, but you do see this woman interviewing people and trying to like learn things. But well, I think well also I... attempting to act out roles yeah. that she may or may not have done. There's a lot of projection here and there has to be when dealing with this because yeah. you honestly don't get much. I mean, you understand why they're doing this because the idea of a woman news anchor in the late seventies shooting herself on live television is kind of a fascinating thing. You want to know more about Absolutely. someone who would do that. But apparently she was a single woman, no kids. Her mother and her brother are dead, so her immediate family are gone. They talked to people who worked at the station a long time ago, and they had nice things to say about her, but it was all very anecdotal. But no one and, really knew her very well. And all we really got was that she was she was kind of lonely. She was dating a guy involved in the news station, but it didn't work out. He was kind of a player, and they ended up not being a couple. And that maybe she was frustrated at some of the the choices of news that she had to play, but yeah. which is actually every anchor's issue. But they have uh, Kate going around to, like, the gun store, but it's not the gun store because it moved where Christine got the gun, and they're going to all these places, and there's a sense of desperation to try to get to something here Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's as successful as robert green did in other movies like bisbee bisbee 17 is a good example of him accomplishing that something more compelling that you learn something really unique about american history that isn't talked about but here i get it you you get the sense that they want more than what they were able to get but they just did not and so the actress kate is questioning rightfully so like what is the point of this at one point at the end scene when she goes to like shoot herself she's like you're all like fuck is this what you want you're all fucking sadists yeah she couldn't do it for a while like it shows her she goes through the whole thing like she goes to the exact news report that christine was giving that day and she gets to the point and she holds the gun to her head and she keeps not being able to do it and yeah she kind of flips out when she finally does and you know there's also there's also the inherent melodrama of the actor herself this is what i was about to say that is what was most annoying to me if this and i get it there's not enough there's not enough substance to make just a whole documentary film about this story but that is all i'd want to see even if it was a 30 minute documentary that's fine that's fine so my criticism and leading into my judgment yeah is that those bits seemed so contrived of just like i'm gonna go interview someone and then i'm gonna listen to this tape of her speaking again i'm gonna watch this video again and i'm gonna walk around the room pretending to be her and it's like i don't need to see this actress pretending to be this person it's like it was filler when it was all said and done did we really need a lot of this no oh this movie uh when it premiered at sundance it just so was a coincidence that there was a a biographical film about christine chubbick that aired at the same time it doesn't look very good but 
It was there. It might have been better than this. We don't know. I am going to give this movie a 1.75. A 1.75. I'm going to give it a two, a right down the middle 2.5. So yeah, a lot of it did feel a little contrived. By the end, like Kate is asking the point of all of this, and it's a good question. It is a good question. What is a point? I guess that's the thing about Christine Chubbuck is that she left this world, so we really don't know anything about her. But if she didn't leave this world the way she did, would we know, we'd know even less about her, wouldn't but, we? But, like, can you even, like, you can tell this story without making someone reenact an actual, the actual moment. So, uh, but Robert Greene's got to go the, the, the recreation. That's his shtick. But I don't like it. I give it a 2.5. You give it a 1.75. 4.25. 4.25. Four, Kate plays Christine. We that brings us to a C tier. Okay. C tier. Four point two five. That is our lowest C tier. One point seven five to me is kind of if you think it's like thirty percent. I forgot to show the window. Just to show everyone, here you go. Ah yes. There you go. We did it. The, <laughs> the lowest C tier movie so far. Next up on the docket, a movie you're sure to love. We're talking about. We've mentioned this one in passing before. Thor, Love and Thunder, directed by Taika Waititi. Kids, get the popcorn now. Let me tell you the story of the space viking, Thor Odinson. He was no ordinary man. He was a god. After saving planet Earth for the 500th time, Thor set off on a new journey. Well, he got in shape. He went from dead bod to god bod. And after all that, he reclaimed his title as the one and only Thor. Oh, spoke too soon. Jane? The old ex-girlfriend. What's it been like? Three, four years? <laughs> Eight years, seven months and six days. Give or take. Am I uh, sensing feelings? Well, you're right. <laughs> the only ones who gods care about is themselves. So this is my vow. All gods will die. I just want to say that was very, very impressive what you did back there. Just my first bad guy. You never forget your first. You are not like the other gods of Kiln. Because I have something worth fighting for. Let's see who you are. I take off your disguise and flip. Oh, you flip too hard, damn it! Shall we help him? And eventually, grape. Thor: Love and Thunder, directed Ooh. by Taika Waititi from 2022, written by Taika Waititi and Jennifer Caton Robinson, starring Chris Hemsworth. Christian Bell, Natalie Portman, Tessa Thompson, etc. Produced by 
Kevin Feige and Brad Winderbaum. Cinematography by Barry Edwin from Marvel Studios and Walt Disney Pictures. This might be my least favorite Marvel movie. And we've mentioned this, that we didn't like this before on previous episodes. Totally. And Thor Ragnarok was kind of fun. It seemed like an inspired choice to put Taika on a Marvel movie. It's really thanks to James Gunn that now we have movies with this kind of tone to Mm -hmm. it, whether it executed good or bad. But the sophomore effort uh, does not lend itself to quality. It felt a lot more forced. These actors had... Contra- except for Christian Bale, had contractual yeah. obligation stamped to their forehead. Christian Bale can act, and he put it all. He he played this like he was going for an Oscar, but there was a movie with like nothing to it that's trying to be so fucking clever. When you're dealing with someone who, okay, let's set it up. I'll do the best I can. Okay. Okay. After the end of Ragnarok and Endgame, the Asgardians are now on Earth. And it's uh, uh, they're now led by Tessa Thompson, who's Valkyrie, and Thor is hanging with the Guardians of the Galaxy, and he fucks off away from them. And Jane Foster comes back, Natalie Portman, and but we realize we discover that she has cancer, yes. but she also um, finds the broken pieces of Mjolnir that got broken in Thor Ragnarok, and they combine for her, and she becomes a Thor, like they call her Mighty Thor. Yeah. So. When she's Mighty Thor, it kind of pauses the cancer, but it gets in the way of her being able to fight the cancer. Yes. So, of course, her and uh, Thor come back into each other's lives, and it is um, you you could not light a piece of paper with any of the sparks between them. Like I said, they no, are just nothing. phoning it in. And also, you're dealing with someone who's literally dying of cancer, mm-hmm. and the dramatic weight is like not there at all it's just there's a point where they're trying to reconnect you should care and it's just the most but you don't (laughs) and it's just the most obnoxious like nothing scene yeah this is what i talk about with quirky dialogue bullshit that means nothing Mm -hmm. and we know that taika waititi has the ability to balance humor and genuine emotional connections between characters he fails miserably in this movie this is also though one of those moments where i think this is a big studio film and how much control did he actually have? I don't know. Who knows? And you can't, we'll see what he does next. Right? Like I'm hoping that him making this movie opened up the opportunity for him to do, I've said this before for him to do something cool. Yeah. Cause a lot of times it does. It's like, Oh, you gotta, you gotta do these and then we'll let you do a passion project, you know? Like, yeah. so maybe we'll see something good come from him next, but I'm cautious. This is just a fine example of how someone who seems so talented can just suddenly come off like a really bad imitation of himself. Yeah. And it just goes to show that, like, you know, uh, he's got a lot of he's got a lot of friends out there. Uh, He's got a lot of detractors as well. Yeah. Uh, There's I mean, I think it's just a result of like getting so many of these kind of style, almost like you can tell he really likes like a Wes Anderson kind of guy Mm. with boy. You saw that a lot in that movie, but, and that's okay. Yeah. And and like I said, he can work it sometimes, but I don't know. What are the cool things in this movie? Like there was a cool scene where they're on a small planet fighting, but there's just, the stakes and the drama are just completely imbalanced. And they don't follow their own rules. There, There's no weight to her having cancer at all, and there's no chemistry between them. There's one point where uh, Russell Crowe plays Zeus. He looked like he had a good time. That was kind of a 
a fun scene. But they take a lightning bolt from him, and there's a one point where Valkyrie gets stabbed in the back by Gore. And this is supposed to be like the weapon that Thor will need to help him because to kill the god killer. To kill the god killer. The god killer stabs her in the back with this shit, and in a scene like she's off camera and they're like oh she's in the hospital she'll be fine it's like what she got stabbed by a god killing weapon like it's just the 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 balance is gone and there's this and these kids are kidnapped by gore and this one kid keeps making this joke like he's obsessed with guns and roses because guns and roses about the guns and roses music is all up in this and he's like i want to be called axel it's like it's not funny at all like you want to be called axel because like that's not a yeah, joke. No, that's yeah. not a joke. And then, of course, Gore. You know, he's a bad guy because his daughter was killed, so he kills gods. Because he blames the gods. So he has to go to eternity to make a wish to get his daughter back. <laughs> and of course, Thor feels for him, and Gore ends up dying. But they do wish for the daughter to come back, and the daughter's the daughter's imbued with the power of eternity. And Thor like has a montage where he's raising this girl, and Jane Foster. Dies, dies and goes to Valhalla. Not that there's any really emotional weight to That's that. That's the at right all. word, right? Valhalla. Yeah. Okay. Because then she's there with. Isn't that like the only moment we see Idris Elba? This movie was best part of the movie. This movie was just fucking annoying. Idris Elba. This movie was obnoxious. Yeah, I don't like it. This is how not. To, this is like a culmination of the worst parts of modern humor. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I'm not writing off Taika Waititi, no. but boy, I would not brag about this one. This is mm-hmm. like how not to do his I'm style. I'm curious of movie. to see what happens next. Like if he does something else like this, or I'm, if truly if he goes out separate. I'm curious. I think he should move on if he I hasn't do. already. I think Chris Hemsworth was like. I think Thor should be more serious again. I don't know if they need to make more Thor movies. They're kind of not the most exciting ones out there. No. But, but you know, it's Marvel Studios. I mean, it does seem like they these studios have lost their the, their steam a little bit. They're still making more than all the other movies, but this that's what executives and corporate execs do, right? Oh, people like this? Let's beat them over the head with it over and totally. over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And this is one... That was just like a dead horse getting flogged. And and it's embarrassing how little genuine human connection yeah. was in a movie about somebody whose old lover had cancer. Uh, obnoxious completely. How much do you give this movie? One. I agree. It's a one. I don't even know why I'm going that high. But I know. We'll I almost said lower than a one, but I'll just say a one. So that gives it a, <laughs> folks, we did it. We did it, folks. Let me pull it up for you. Finally. F tier. F tier. Our first. According to us, so far, the worst movie ever made. In the world. (laughs) Is Thor, Love and Thunder. A whopping. Two. Two. Out of ten. Humps. You hate to see it. Yeah. You hate to see it. But uh, we got a cure. Because we're going to discuss our next movie. It's one that we do love. It's called, and we're going to go a six minutes here. Okay. Paris, Texas by Vim Vendors. Yeah. When I first saw you this time at Waltz, hmm. I was hoping to show you that I was your father. You showed me I was. Ha ha ha, they have two fathers. Just lucky, I guess. 
I could never heal up what happened. I can't even hardly remember what happened. It's like a gap. Uh, have you seen Jane or talked to her? <laughs> we thought you were dead, boy. How long have I been gone, do you know? Four years. Is four years a long time? It is for a little boy. There will be no safety zone. I can guarantee you the safety zone will be eliminated. What's out there? I gotta go away now. Why? Because I'm going to find her. How's it going? I want to find her, too. I knew these people. They were in love with each other. She's leaving the bank. She was kind of raggedy and wild. She was very beautiful, you know? Loved her more than he ever felt possible. The winner of the Golden Palm at the Cannes Film Festival and one of the most acclaimed films of the decade. Harry Dean Stanton, Nastasia Kinski, Dean Stockwell, Aurore Clement, and introducing Hunter Carson. Paris, Texas. Is there something, I don't know, is there something I can do for you? Paris, Texas. Paris, Texas by Vim Vendors, 1984, written by Kit Carson and Sam Shepard, those manly men. Damn. Uh, starring Harry Dean Stanton, legend. Dean Stockwell, legend. Natasha Kinski, legend. Aurora Clement, amazing. And Hunter Carson, who was the little boy who was played by uh, Kit Carson's son. Aww. Produced by Anatole Dalman and Don Guest. Cinematography by Robbie Mueller. Music by Ry Cooter from Road Movies Film Production, GmbH, Argos Films SA, and 20th Century Fox, who's a distributor. This movie is fucking beautiful, straight up. I'm trying to... First of all, this is a foreign movie about... Uh, this is a Southwestern American film made by a foreign director, German director, Wim Wenders, who's the new wave of German directors. It stars uh, Harry Dean Stanton, who gives every movie an additional half point yes. whenever he's in it. If Harry Dean Stanton is in your movie, it's automatically a plus half a point. It could be a zero movie. He will make it a point one. Yeah. And, uh, and also Dean Stockwell. You might remember him as Al from Quantum Leap, a very underrated actor. He's Nat pretty great. Natasha Kinski represents the foreign acting, as does Aurora Clement, yeah. who plays uh, Dean Stockwell's wife. Uh, Harry Dean Stanton, um, I can't remember their names. It's been a bit since we've seen it, but he walks out of the desert. He's been gone for a, for a long time, yeah. and he walks back into the life of his brothers, pay, played by Dean Stockwell and uh, his wife, Aurora Clement, and they've been raising his son this whole time. His son doesn't really know him at all. Right. And so, like, the son is basically Dean Stockwell and Aurora Clement are this kid's parents, yeah. even though... Harry Dean is the father They've coming back. They've been raising blood. him. He doesn't remember his parents. And Dean Stockwell's, and he's not even talking for a while when they first meet. And Dean Stockwell's just trying to get, like, what's wrong? Where have you been? What's going on? And Aurora Clement is like, she is so good as like the touching, nurturing mother. You can, 
she just so effortlessly shows that she just loves this boy so fucking much. She's but she has just that demeanor, even with Harry Dean Stanton. Yeah, she's she crushes it. Yeah, you make it, you want her to be your mom. Yeah, even though we're like probably older than her at the point when she's making this movie. There's a moment where she's scared that she's gonna lose this boy. Yeah, that she does lose this the boy. Genuine heartbreak, genuine fear there. Well, eventually Harry Dean Stanton and and his son. Uh, do start to bond a little bit. We see a cute scene where they're walking parallel across the street where they're starting to get to know each other and they're emulating each other's like movements. And that's a very kind of European charm thing. So charming. And, and it's, and it's beautiful stuff. And it's revealed that of course there's a mother that hasn't been around in this boy's life. We don't know why Harry Dean's walked into the desert and it's revealed by Aurora Clement reveals that she's been getting letters from the mother and helping her out sometimes and mm -hmm. tells and she'll send when she can and explains that yeah I've actually been in contact the address is coming from this area in Houston mm -hmm. um and so Harry Dean Stanton he's going to go alone at first but then he just decides at the last minute that the boy wants to go with him, so he brings the boy. Mm -hmm. It was totally the boy's decision. Yeah, and they call home to make sure that everyone's okay. And but Aurora's like uh, fear, like she, you could just how much she cares about this kid comes through so well. And the only bad part about this movie going forward is that we don't see Harry Dean Stanton and Aurora Clement again. And and like you 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 hung on their relationship and their love for this kid and his love for his brother and the frustrations. Yeah. You really do miss them as soon as they're off the screen. Yeah. So they go to he goes to Houston with this boy. And this boy is he's so adorable and he's a, like a nice intelligent curious kid and he's mm -hmm. into astrology, but he's not like He's not like, this is how you write a child. Kit Carson and Sam Shepard, they did it right. It's a kid that's curious and smart, but he's still a child. And this is how you do it. This is how you write a smart, bright young boy. Mm -hmm. And so eventually, Harry Dean Stanton tracks down where the mother is. It's like this weird brothel where, explain yeah, this, Sarah. Yeah, so in the brothel, it's there's you go into a room and the lights are off. And there's a telephone and on the other side like lights come on and it's like a decorated small room like one's a kitchen i think there's diff different designs and then the woman comes in and also picks up a telephone and you talk now obviously you could take your clothes off you could talk sexy you could do whatever you can tell that she's uncomfortable with him because she keeps trying to be like what do you want me to do and he's like i just want to talk to you and he stays in the darkness at first, the first time, I think he doesn't even speak, maybe. To yeah, him. yeah, not at first. And then he goes away and comes back, and he puts the boy in a hotel room, and he, and he decides to go back to her, and they go back, and he starts to tell a story to her. They monologue, They both have a long monologue with each other. Telling their whole history. And Natasha Kinski's her accent kind of breaks a little bit here. And it's kind of a long scene, but he explained... He, he, in almost a third-party way, explains the story of them and their relationship. Yeah, it's like he's telling her without telling her that he's who he is they had this relationship he was an older man he was a younger she was a younger woman and they had this kind of spitfire ass relationship and where you got the feeling that they probably ran around on each other that maybe that harry dean stanton was kind of a drunk and wasn't very much available so things were just bad between them even though it seemed good and passionate at one point but the passion doesn't maintain he comes home one day to find the house engulfed in flames as far as he knows her and that kid are in that house and he finds nothing 
And he's so distraught, he just goes and walks off in the fucking desert. Yeah, and has been gone this entire time. And has time. the entire time until he just wanders right back in uh, to their life. And so they kind of come to this, like, understanding of each other in that moment. It's kind of like, okay, let's just put it all back. You know, like, let's not, like, we're both going to move forward. Okay, real, real, real quick. So then he tells her the boy is in this hotel room, and he drives her there or he follows her i can't remember he, he gives her the room number and lets her know yeah, where he is yeah but he's like outside in his truck looking at the hotel room that's also like a beautiful shot because you kind of see like in the hotel room the boy and you see her come in there and you get to see them come together oh it's beautiful and it's so beautiful because listen she's been through some shit right and this kid has never known his mom but the way they embrace each other it's like an inherent unspoken bond. And, you know, the story is about the, the story is ultimately about a boy being reunited with his mother. Yeah. And even when even though the boy was very well taken care of, but it's not about him being a family again. He kind of understands that he is kind of the fuck up that he's not really for the for their betterment, he kind of moves on and he goes to. We mentioned Paris, Texas, because apparently that's where he was born. He's got a picture of an empty lot in Paris, Texas. We never actually see Paris, Texas, but you, without saying it, you get the feeling that that's where he's going yeah. to spend out the rest of his life. And the mother is reunited with the daughter. And I and I just hope, personally, that they went back to Los Angeles from Houston. To go live with the mother uh, and the son. Harry Dean Stanton and uh, I do too. Aurora Clement because I feel like they probably did. It, it it just makes me happy to just think about all of them together because she loved that boy so much that it would pain me to think that she wouldn't get to see the boy consistently ever again. This outsider view of the southwestern American life from from Los Angeles down to Texas is very much a desert film, a road movie. Yeah. And Vim Vendors just knocks it out of the park in terms of just representing the desperation and the sadness between these people. Yeah. And as well as genuine love, genuine love represented in this movie. Yeah. It is a stunning film, Paris, Texas. And I know that a lot of I know people that have seen this movie. It uh, it does mean a lot to them. It's kind of like if you watch Paris, Texas and you're like. I don't think that was very good. Like, I don't Who know. Who are you? I don't know what the fuck to tell you. Like, uh, no. Like, I have no idea what would go through your mind. I don't know. I felt like this movie kind of shook me, me too. in a way. Just the genuine touching moments. There's something that just felt so real about mm -hmm. it. And your, mo your fucking boy, Harry Dean Stanton's in it. R.I.P. Late Great. All right. So, how much? So good. How much do you give this jam? Paris, Texas by Vim Vendors. I wouldn't change a thing about it. I think it was gorgeous. It's one of those movies that as soon as it's over, you immediately want to watch it again. Or you wish you hadn't seen it so you could watch it again for the first time. Yeah. It's one of those. So, for me, it's a five. It's a five. This is a fucking five movie. One of the 80s finest films. Vim Vendors, well done. You you identified uh, American culture in, in a way that most Americans can't even this sincerely absolutely. hit. Absolutely. So, well done. Beautiful, beautiful film if you haven't seen Paris, Texas. It's a, it's a movie that's going to take its time, you know? Yeah. 
it's the pacing is that's just kind of how it is yeah but it is uh every shot of the landscapes of the american southwest uh it's something to behold it's a thoughtful beautiful movie and so the question is oh we got a 10 out of 10 like we said every 9.5 and up is a pretty much a great film uh is it above or below thief by michael mann I really love Thief. It doesn't so even matter. Much. It doesn't it even doesn't really matter, matter. But I feel like I would. I mm, I feel like Thief edges it out just a little bit. Alrighty then. So. Parents. I feel like James Con. Didn't we decide James Con also automatically as a point five for anybody? <laughs> sure, we can. He's always. If he's in it, it's automatically better. Paris, Texas, by Vim Vendors from 1984 is a fucking thin. Yeah, damn right. It's a fucking ten. So there you go. And uh, what a we could have done a whole episode on that movie alone. Maybe we should have, but I'm glad we touched base on it here. And uh, this is this is almost one where we could just throw it on just for comfort. You yeah, know? totally. Now our next discussion, I think we're gonna have a lot to say about it. That's why we're gonna give it ten minutes. <sighs> Okay. And um, I mean, I know you're right, but like, oh my God. And uh, this movie had a lot of buzz uh, last year when it came out, but it wasn't the buzz. It was more of the buzz surrounding the movie more than the movie itself. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into that. We're talking about Olivia Wilde's sophomore effort. Don't worry, darling. <laughs> I have it. I have it. I have it. Focus right here. You and me. Always. You and me. Darling, I. All of you wives. We men, we ask a lot. Can't you see? We ask for strength, <laughs> food at home, a house clean, and discretion above all else. Boys and their toys. At least we know they're getting work done. Welcome to the Victory Project. We're all here because we believe in the mission. What are we doing? Changing the world. What are we doing? Changing Changing the the world. world. That's right. What do you think they're really doing out there? What do you mean? The one thing they ask of us is to stay here. Where it's safe. Do you even know what the Victory Project actually is? Have you ever asked? Do you? Please, what's actually happening? Stop it, Alice. What if this place is dangerous? What if Stop it! No. Jack, it's okay. I'm curious to hear where she's going with this. I need you to listen to me. They're lying about everything. We are not going backwards. We're pushing forward. 
Everyone is acting like I'm crazy. And I'm not crazy. Our life together. We could lose this. I don't trust him. Don't Worry Darling by Olivia Wilde from 2022, written by Katie Silberman, Carrie Van Dyke, and Shane Van Dyke, starring Lawrence, Florence Pugh, Harry Styles, Chris Pine, Gemma Chan, Nick Kroll, etc., etc. Produced by Olivia Wilde, Katie Silberman, Mary Yoon, and Roy Lee. Cinematography by Matthew Libatique from New Line Cinema, Vertigo Entertainment, and Warner Brothers. Now, this movie... What's so funny about the the buzz of this movie that it was just about the fact that Harry Styles looks like he spits in Chris Pine's lap at yeah, like, like a, a panel or something. Yeah, and another one. My the funniest thing is uh, when Harry did not spit on me. Harry's a very very kind guy, and it does look indeed like Harry spitting on me. He didn't spit on me. I think what he said is he leaned down, and I think he said. It's just words, isn't it? Because we had this little joke, because we're all jet lagged, we're all trying to answer these questions, and sometimes when you're doing these press things, your brain goes a buffet. Chris Pine and Harry Styles are like doing press for the movie, yeah. and it's just them, and Harry Styles is like, you know, what I like about this movie is that like it's like a movie. You know, my favorite thing about the movie is like, it feels like a, like a movie. It feels like a real like, you know, go to the theater, film movie that you know you, you kind of the reason why you go to watch something on the big screen i, I think uh, yeah and apparently olivia wilde uh bailed on jason sudeikis i remember hearing you know i don't follow the tabloid shit but i remember hearing about jason sudeikis begging her not to leave him and it's like man i wish i didn't hear that that's so sad yeah. and then uh, olivia wilde dated harry styles and they broke up harry mm -hmm. styles made out with florence Pugh, but like there is just like puppy piling on here except for chris pine and harry styles uh but you know what no one talked about the movie itself. Oh my God, this movie. I would love to talk about this movie. Now, uh, Olivia Wilde, this is her second film. Her first one was Book Smart, a comedy that I think maybe overall edges this movie out. Yeah. But this movie is definitely more memorable than Book Smart. Sure. Book for Smart, the wrong reasons. Book Smart is kind of, you know, contrived because it is that like girls answer to super bad i know just make and a comedy don't try to be like... i know well and now, i don't know that she often, intended to do that often, that's what people say that's often what it. the studios will explain even if you're trying to do something else the studios will just but it did seem like the characters she were portraying seemed to be like stand-ins yeah but no totally and, and it may be also the studio kind of forcing that as well it's often mm -hmm. the studios that are like this is like blah 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 meets blah 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 right so i mean I don't think Booksmart was a bad movie, but it wasn't, it's not necessarily one that belongs in the canon of like really great comedies. No, but it's fun. Fun enough, we'll say. And now, Don't Worry Darling might be fun for completely different reasons. Don't Worry Darling is the story of a woman who wakes up one day <laughs> and is in this like 1950s world. 
And yeah, it's she, like a late fifties aesthetic. Yeah, she, you know, they're in this, they're in this like community that is very segregated from the rest of the world. Everyone has this story about how they met. Each couple though has like the same sort of meet cute story. Their stories are based. They they do have a knowledge of a modern world outside of their. Yes, but they have chosen to live in this like insulated community in the desert to save the world that is somehow that is uh uh at least they think they've i mean it's their cult basically and yeah. it's ran by this charismatic guy as played by chris pine chris pine is a charismatic person we've yeah. seen him be charismatic in other spaces dungeon and dragons we just saw charismatic he's as fun shit. sure this movie he's a decent kirk he's this fine movie, fucking flat yeah yeah flat well. And it's not his fault. Something happens where Florence Pugh, we're not going to remember all their names, she sees her neighbor, like, kill herself or freak out or some shit. Mm-hmm. Well, both. And this, She freaks out and then... This neighbor is a non-character. It's just a... It's just a... She's just a vehicle to get Florence Pugh to, like, see between the veil of which it is, all. Which fucking sucks. Yeah, yeah. Because we have also seen because very she's recently supposed to be examples. An, she's supposed to be important. Yeah. You could you could get us to care about her in a few moments if you just let that happen. Sorry, I'm so upset about this because it is it's a throwaway character and it didn't need to be, didn't have to be, but they don't give you time to care about that. They give us a side flashback about her uh, leave trying to leave the facility with her son, mm-hmm. and then they drag her back, and that's about. And They're, whatever she saw in the desert fucked her up. Yeah, this this character that breaks it all down for mm-hmm. Florence Pugh is really just a non-entity. And there yeah. are there's aspects of movies where you see people come into people's lives and they get offed or killed or something. And it's often criticized men writing bad characters, especially women who just serve as like, they call it fridging, where a character just serves to die to betterment. Uh, the main character often a male, but in yeah. this case, you're fridging someone who is completely flat as a character, and it's servicing the protagonist of another woman. And but it doesn't make that any better, to be quite no, honest. No, no. And she starts asking about like what happened, what's going on, and everyone just keeps telling her, "Oh, oh don't ask you. questions." She tries to talk to her husband about it. Don't worry, darling. Like it's that's the whole thing. It's <laughs> who's like, Harry Styles? Their husband. Who's Harry Styles? All the men he eats pussy. Dry- yeah, totally. A lot of pussy eating here. People been eating pussy since pussies happened, Bob. They just maybe didn't talk about it in the 50s. Even cave pussy? Sure. That was the smelly pussy back then. They didn't know. They, I guess they didn't have any other smell. All of their bodies smelled. They all smelled. That's true. I don't know. Anyway, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm just saying I have a serious doubt that they never. I didn't mean to imply that they never did. Anyway. The men drive away every day. The women stay home. It's a very, like, patriarchal society. The women don't work. They just, like, shop or whatever, but it's... Women be shopping. Women be shopping. And so they're control, like, don't talk about that girl. Control is a very obvious theme in this movie. So eventually Florence Pugh sees this airplane fly. Yeah. And she sees it crash. And she's like, I'm going to find that plane. She's on a trolley. And the guy on the ride in the trolley is like, no, I can't go up there. And she's like, go up there. She goes up there. She, she walks. walks into a glowing building. We don't really see exactly what she sees. And then she wakes up and she's back in her yeah, like late found 50s her, community. Her, back. her throwback community. Yeah. And so then obviously she's like, something's fucked up going on. Mm. And and there's... she's she's questioning it with her husband, and her husband's trying to be understanding about it. But he's got a big promotion because Chris Pine's like 
bringing him up. So they're going to go to an event and they put a ring on him or something and they make him do this dance in front of all these people. Mm -hmm. And, uh, she's questioning to her girlfriends and they're like, don't fuck this up for your husband. Yeah. Yeah. This This is good for him. And, uh, and so there's this scene where Harry Styles is being made to dance around very bizarre theme, but it also shows that they have, control over people as individuals here and that kind of contradict there's a there's some things that we're going to get into when all is revealed here and then there's the dinner party the dinner party which made me very this is the part that pisses me off because chris pine is aware that she's been like causing trouble with her questions there's an aside of this dinner party where she's messing with the dishes and he walks up to her chris pine is like i love it when people challenge me you know, he's he's playing this up like, like oh, we're going to have this psychological game of cat and mouse. And this is where the first like, time I felt excited. She knows a little bit more than everyone else, and he and he knows that she knows. So what are they going to do? How are they going to manipulate each other? How is she going to trick him? How is he going to fuck with her? Because if she's seeing the plane, why is she seeing the plane? Why is the plane there flying into the mountain in the yeah. first place? She's made to see it, right? Like, why... Maybe he was Why? trying to lead her. Maybe he was interested in her and he was baiting her. And so you think this is going to turn into like a, a, a really cool dynamic yeah, there's uh, like a antagonist few protagonist tit for tat. Yeah, where this could have been good. And then it cuts and then it cuts immediately them sitting at the table. And she immediately is like calls him out on all the weird shit. And instead of him being like charming about it, like, what are you talking about? He's like all that charm that he displayed that he thought that he's that set up like there was going to be something really like in psychologically intense is all thrown out the window when she just openly is just like it was like setting up to write something really cool. And then you just topple it all over in just right yeah. in the next cut mm-hmm. and it's like and it it ended up it like set up like it was going to be something cool and intense and it was nothing it was nothing it was absolutely fucking nothing we're gonna run over yeah we don't care so just like i'm but gonna stop i love it. the sound of the okay, boing we'll though. let it boing and scare me when i'm talking but then but then we'll keep going because we still have to when, talk about what's when actually you, happening when you hear that boing i'm getting an erection every time is that the sound of your erection mm-hmm. interesting uh never heard it before <laughs> you, were, you heard it five other times in this episode. I'm, okay, I thought you were. Never mind. <laughs> That's the first. Now I'm just thinking about your penis. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. <laughs> oh, that is one thing. I do feel like they had chemistry. <laughs> it wasn't bad. It wasn't I feel bad. Like there was some chemistry between Florence Pugh and Harry Styles, who is um, a singer. <laughs> That's what we've heard about him. Yeah. I. I don't that watermelon sugar song. Fine. See, I named one. Isn't that about eating pussy? pussy? That's is what it? I heard. That's what I heard. Sure, why not? I heard it is, but also I think it's about wearing maternity clothes and, and break and brain <laughs> breaking gender norms. That's what you love can about him. That's what you love about Harry Styles. I don't. He uh, he invented not a maternity clothes. He invented. I didn't say Moomoo. Isn't that what you're thinking of? Was he, he wearing wear maternity clothes? <laughs> He's very very loose fitting tops. It seems. Okay, that's a big shirt. I think he just would look better if he was wearing like what the ladies were wearing, like a cocktail dress. I'm just saying, I'm not against him wearing what he wants. That I, is the whole point. Look, I don't I'm no, care. I'm wearing a Razor Ramon wrestling shirt. You don't have to take my fashion advice. I don't 
care what Harry Styles wears, but do not tell me that he is a groundbreaking person within the men dressing. Do you not see that he's famous wearing women's clothes on? There have been people wearing women's clothes for a very long time. Men wearing women's clothes. Harry Styles started it off for everybody. Thank you, Harry. He did not. Thank you. No. Okay, back to the story. You find out that Olivia Wilde... Is wild. She's kind of in on this. Like, you figure out at a point that, like, the women know nothing, and the men know what's Except up, the but ones they won't that do. tell you. The only woman that knows is uh, Chris Pine's partner and Olivia Wilde. Those are the only women that are that are into what's happening. So now I'm going to tell you what's happening. Florence Pugh knows something's wrong, and she eventually is like, I got to get the fuck out of here. She's also starting to, like, have memories of her life before being here. Then... All of a sudden, we get this whole story where she used to be a doctor, okay? Yeah. And she lived with Styles. Yeah, well, we get to this point when she's trying to be like, hey, honey, let's get out of here. Yes. And he's like, yes, honey, we'll do that. But she doesn't. She calls Chris Pine, and he sends his goons to take her away. Right. And that's when we get. Because her body in reality, has been laying in a dirty apartment, in a bed, in dirty-ass clothes, for God knows how the fuck long, hooked up to a million things that are... It's basically like a cult version of the Matrix, but she's been put in it against her will. And and Harry Styles is there, too, and he's got all this, like, hair and beard, and he's, like... It's you not find a, out that he's been leaving every day to go work to pay so they can stay in this world. He for, go, he 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 doesn't like he doesn't like his uh, wife girl bossing being a surgeon, so he sticks her in a VR world and goes and works at the cyberpunk Arby's yeah, to make all to, that to money fund the, to fund Be, this them because he's world. a fucking idiot. I have so many questions. Like, how does that first happen? Do you drug her and plug her in? How did they wipe your memory? How is she pissing? Like, is she just defecating on herself? Is he got a diaper on her that he's changing every day? Like, she doesn't go into the real world. She's been living completely in this world for I do not know how long. And that's fucked up. And also, it's like, he didn't, he wasn't happy with her being a strong woman because he felt like, that emasculated him and here's the deal like you can have a relationship where the woman makes more money than the man and has more power than the man if the man is a man you know what i mean like this is like some total like the idea of it maybe i know we can maybe talk about the stylistic choices it's a total like incel wet dream that i'm gonna take this woman and we're gonna go into this world and i'm gonna completely be in control of her and i'm the man and she's the woman and she's barefoot and we're just fucking and i'm drinking martinis at night well your outrage is what they're going for with this movie (laughs) but idea but let me explain why let me explain why it's fucking stupid yeah in execution I mean, one, incels don't get pussy, so these guys aren't incels. They're, they're maybe they're chauvinists or whatever. But maybe like, that's better. But like, term. if you're like, if you're going to sacrifice surgeon money that your wife makes so you can control her by working at the cyberpunk Arby's and trap her in a VR, you're just like a dumb motherfucker. It's just control, yeah, yeah, you're right. That's the it's whole just, mother. You're just yeah. you're a dumb motherfucker. Like, just leave. You can probably find someone more subservient. You know, like mm-hmm. it's 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 dumb. Like how's how's hot surgeon girl 
get incel insecure pussy man like how does that happen how does that happen how does she get him or how does she put up with him they they're trying to tell an incel story they are not they are not capturing incels well and maybe unless that's they're the kidnapping wrong way these women about it but they are yeah he did kidnap this one and here's another thing florence Pugh. she's cool being in a throwback isolated desert community where her husband goes off and and does whatever she's she's consigned to that control but a vr world hey now she's cool with she cult. wasn't cool with that she questioned it that's why the whole she, thing happened she didn't question the community she she was getting visions and shit that things were different outside of it all yeah. she was not questioning the community itself mm. she was questioning the things she between was asking like what are we doing to save the world she did ask questions like that she was like what are they doing when they go out in the desert what is out i mean she did ask those questions but but i get what you mean i get what you mean she was consigned to the cult it's not it's not one because bullshit they it's the other her to think that she wanted to be there and that she was in love with this man who i believe i think that every flashback of them in their prior relationship they were fighting i think she was probably going to leave him and this was like a last ditch effort to yeah. not only keep her but control her yes because he wanted her to spend more time with him. So Chris Pine is like because he didn't god... want her to girl boss. Yeah, Chris Pine is like the god figure of this whole place, and this, this is... is like his idea. And so you kind of do get this idea that he's like maybe a generation older than them, but he's not old enough to like idealize this like 1950s world. Unless okay, you could go to like he grew up on this like Leave It to Beaver kind of like thing, and that's what he thinks is ideal that's... society. That's not it. This is a future. We're in the future with this VR kidnap people. You're right. We're in cyberpunk future. And this is the flaws with that concept. Obviously, you got the late 50s cocktail dresses, all this stuff. Even though the way they're presented, they seem probably a little more forward than a lot of people maybe were at that time. Sure. But the it's the visual throwback of like everything was better. And you kind of get that from a reactionary standpoint. Someone might think that. But I think it's more of the writers of the movie, they're like, oh, this is a time that is indicative of a very patriarchal period. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like, it had this vibe like, but also we like cocktail dresses and listening to like Perry Cuomo it or whatever the fuck. It looks very pretty. It's very it, visually yeah. appealing. Like, who doesn't it, it love was, that? Yeah. And so, but the thing is, Chris Pine in the future. That is not the environment. You can create a VR where you can do fucking anything. He made Harry Styles dance in front of people. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the, they look how he wants them to. They dress how he wants them Chris to. Chris Pine really is the incel hive lord, the, the chauvinist creating this VR environment. This tech dork who's lonely, who's going to create an environment where women are trapped in. He, unless he just got finished watching six seasons of Mad Men, this is not the environment this kind of guy is going to come up with. He's going to make everyone look like anime waifus with giant eyes and big tits and squids coming out their pussy. He can... Florence Pugh is tr driving out of the desert trying to escape, and that's how she wakes up in her VR. This is your VR. Grow wings out your ass. Fly around. You can be. You can make yourself Superman if you want. Go fly down and pick up her car. Is this not? You have created an environment in which you have ultimate control, and yet you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Yeah. And you're no the the concept of of a of a of a late fifties throwback environment where women are looking great in cocktail dresses. 
this is just what the writers and the directors wanted to see mm-hmm. because they see it like, yeah, this is a patriarchal, this can be perceived as a throwback patriarchal period, but no, we just want everyone to look good in a fucking dress and eat like weird loaves with olives in it or something yeah. that that weird whatever weird shit they used to eat back then sure. that's why it was like that Cucumber sandwiches. because it looked cool yeah. but that is not what a fucking weird mass like hyper masculine tech nerd from the future True. would come up with it would be something grosser and way weirder than you what are, we saw you are correct they also were trying to convince us it was a cult so they had to base it in reality, but that ruins the second part. But if, like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It no. It does the concept behind it. Like you kind of get it from a react, a politically reactionary perspective. Yeah, and that makes sense in a cult environment. Why it would be like that? It doesn't make sense in a tech nerd vr environment no. they don't no, no. give a fuck about throwback shit they, you're, uh, these tech nerds they're just they're stu- they're supposed to be self-described futurists they 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 would make themselves superpowered gods in their own environment yeah so what this movie maybe he wasn't smart enough to do that i don't know keep going you don't have to be smart you just have to be like a dork that watches way too much anime yeah <laughs> look I wa- i've seen plenty of myself i'm just you know i'm just saying what do you rate this movie? I don't want to talk about I this just, anymore. But I'm just saying, it's just like the the imagination. It sucks. It's very contrived. Yeah. Very contrived. And Florence Pugh, she did a fine job. This idea of Chris Pine is Chris Pine. He could have been a better charismatic if you actually wrote him better. Actually knew how to write a proper antagonist instead of just yeah. being like, oh, he's a controlling chauvinist. Like you got to go a little deeper than that yeah. to to make us grab onto something. Yeah, there really was like it was like a half-ass attempt at imagination. What we thought was like a cult movie ends up being like a weird sci-fi movie. Yeah, but it made more sense as a cult movie it than it, than it did a VR sci-fi movie. Yeah, contrived as fuck, uh, like a half-assed, badly written. Yeah, and uh, but it is, um a fun movie to talk about because I think a lot of people would, I wonder if this movie will hold up in time. Will this be a movie that people go back to and be like, actually the themes here kind of, I, I, I would disagree with them. Uh, be- I don't think anybody's doing that. But do you think this would kind of become some kind of culty sleeper hit in the future? It, I do I kind don't of, think it's good enough. To. I do kind of enjoy talking about what's wrong with it. Yeah. I feel like there's kind of like an educational value in how it failed. You know? Yeah, for sure. But man, if you, but if you thought this was like really well executed, like the sets and the costuming were fantastic. I don't. That's think, what I'll give you. I don't think this can be a cult movie because I don't think it's good enough or bad enough. You're right. It would have to be worse or better. That's a good point. It's kind of uh, yeah. It's got to be like even a little bit dumber or a little bit smarter. Yeah, like it has to understand what it's doing. Or it has to not care at all. It's just, it's just so frustrating to see something that's trying to be very deep. And the ideas are interesting. And to have a message that you want to get behind, but it's just, but you you can't just have just the message. No. We got the message. We knew it was about control before we even knew the VR shit. We already yeah. we got that quick, and like it's just not compelling at all. It's just 
And, and when it was all said and done, it was dumb. What's your number? And then we got to shake this shit off, man. Because we've been talking about this movie for months. I'm going to give it a two. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to go. It's below average. So. Yeah. I'm going to go 1.75. So that makes it a 3.75. That brings it down to D here. So you think Johnny Mnemonic was uh, worse than Don't Worry Darling? No, I think Johnny Mnemonic's better. Well, we got it gets a 3.75. Well, then I give it a 1.5. <laughs> what does it need to have to be Johnny under? Mnemonic is a 3. Oh, well, then I give it a 1. So you imagine Give it a one. Give it a one, and you put it under Johnny Mnemonic, please. Johnny Mnemonic is kind of like a good cult bad, isn't that what it you're is, kind of talking about? That's what about? I mean. Johnny Mnemonic is a good cult. Cult bad. bad. It's cult bad, and the, it, because there's parts of it that are so like quotable or I memorable. I keep hitting the wrong button. Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> We've also talked a lot about Johnny Mnemonic. I feel like, but yeah, there's there's bits of it that are just so insane that yeah absolutely like i could totally see johnny mnemonic being a midnight movie at our art house theater this one never (laughs) no you're right no way no way but johnny mnemonic people might show up with their computer gloves they might bring their dolphins they get you a t-shirt with that dolphin on it (laughs) okay so yeah that's that uh that's Let's never talk about Don't Worry Darling again. Actually, I'd be glad to talk about it at like a party. With other people than me. I really think this is kind of, there's something like a litmus test with this movie. Truly. Yeah. I really do. I know. You can pick, you know, you can picture people in your life that'll be like, this movie's good. Oh, totally. And it is not. You could have made this movie so much creepier, so much more like psychologically intense. You know what? thought was going to happen for a minute when she went out into the desert and the plane had crashed and there was that weird glowy building I thought it was aliens that was an alien cult i thought the men were doing something with the aliens. wow that sounds so much more fun this is what i'm saying like and somehow the person that they that is is like that can talk to them is chris pine and so he has like a little bit of power we can control people and stuff but mm. like i don't know like that's what i thought was going to happen and then i was like oh Cause I thought it was the cult and then I thought it was aliens. And then when it was again, like the dumbest version of the matrix, it was like, you know, you make more money than me. I'm going to slap you in a VR. We're going to make way less money. I'm going to go work at the cyberpunk Arby's for, uh, I'm sure minimum wage, federal minimum wage will not be higher tomorrow than it is now. It'll still be seven I'll make seven fifty in cyber bucks. And that's how we're going to live from now on while you piss and shit yourself and you're going to be a big titted anime waifu <laughs> in my VR world. You know how much I hate everything about what you just said. It is like unbelievable. It's just, it's so stupid. It's really like not, a, not even a clear understanding of what like these right wing, uh, man, mansplain, manscape trolls, are all about either it's just kind of like a half like they're actually when you shave your pew there's so much more pathetic than actually was represented in this movie absolutely and that's the reality you actually olivia wilde uh and uh uh katie silberman you actually 
underplayed how actually pathetic these type of people can actually be. Can I throw a recast at you? Okay. That I think would have been really good. No Harry Styles. James Marsden. In, in place of Harry Styles? Mm-hmm. Oh, you could have James. I just want James Marsden in 50s clothes all the time. <laughs> I think he's so you, handsome. You crush on you been crushing on him James since Cyclops Marsden. days. Cyclops days when he was Corny Collins and Hairspray. Come on, <laughs> that's like prime James Marsden. I love you, James Marsden. Well, I'm uh, <laughs> I've been working out more, so maybe I'll get there. I'll never have the hair though. I love you just like you are. Oh, I love you. You're you're perfect for me. You're perfect for me. And I yeah. swear to God, I won't slap you in a VR world. <laughs> But would you go into a desert cult where you dress cocktail dresses? With you? Yeah. And I can't tell you why I'm going out in the desert. It's not that you're against control. Can I Can I be honest? She wasn't against control. She was just against this type of it. If you were for real, like, we need to go live out in the desert, I mean, I would have a lot of questions, but ultimately, like, we're ride or die, babe. Yeah. So we're living on my cyberpunk Arby's, <laughs> Arby's money. That's just no, no, how no. it is. No, no, no. I'm not going in VR. Oh. I'll go to the desert with you. Right. You're like Florence <laughs> Pugh. You're cool with desert cult. Not cool with VR. Again, she wasn't cool with desert cult. Yeah, she was. She wouldn't have asked any questions if she was. Because the veil was breaking. That's why she was asking questions. Because it wasn't real. So she couldn't be okay with it. The person she was as a doctor wouldn't have been okay with it. They brainwashed her. Everything was fine and still she, she wasn't started okay like okay with it. They brainwashed her to think she was okay with it. She didn't remember her life. But she wasn't no, she did. She not until the end. She had a but they knew about the modern world. But they implanted a meet cute story into all of these women that was exactly the same. They implanted their memories. They didn't take away their thoughts and feelings. No, but they took away their memories. But her her not, essence was questioning. If you're gonna take away your memories, why not just trick them into thinking they've been in the desert cult their whole lives? Why even have a memory where there is a modern world that you moved from? Why even do that? I don't know. I mean, it doesn't make any sense, but I'm just telling you, she wasn't okay with it because she was brainwashed. You cannot be held responsible if you've been brainwashed. Death to all traitors. Death to all traitors. (laughs) 